pointing out the issues some face and why they may be facing it, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. The things you found yourself in, the trouble you got in at work, the anger that came, the argument in your marriage, the flesh outfit you had with your kids, it's because you're not a man or a woman of the Word. That's not everyone, but some. What do you expect to come out of you if you never put in you spiritual things? Are you so filled with this world's music that that's what comes out of you? Are you so filled with this world's message? This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You What peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. While that line from the old hymn is true, it's not the only reason we face difficulty. Stick around for a helpful time in the Word on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We've just begun a study in Hebrews with the theme of Jesus being so much better than religion. He's the substance as opposed to the shadow. He reveals what God has for us, and if we'll hear and heed His Word, it will save us a great deal of pain and heartache. Here now is Pastor Ed. Paul writes this letter to a group of Jewish Christians that have come out of thousands of years of religious tradition in Judaism and have embraced their Savior, the promised Messiah. Over 330 prophecies and predictions of Messiah were fulfilled by Jesus Christ in His first coming. And many of the, the, the very first Christians were Jewish. And Jerusalem is filled with Jewish Christians. And yet, remember, for a Jewish person to embrace Messiah meant that he would lose everything. They would lose everything. They'd lose their identity. They'd lose their community. They'd often lose their job. They would lose, their families would turn on them. And that takes a toll on a person. As Jesus taught us to count the cost in following him. Even though some of you might count the cost, there's still even more cost to it. And that takes a toll, the difficulties and the trials. And many people are tempted to go backwards. And that's where they are. They are tempted to go backwards. They're tempted to go back to Judaism, to their religious traditions. You know why? Because one of the hardest things to do is to embrace change. There's a lot of resistance to change. And one of the hardest things to break in a person's life is their man-made religious traditions and habits and rituals. It's so hard for people to change, especially when it comes to their relationship with God. There's a resistance to change, actually a pushback, a natural response that when things are changing, it's disrupting. And when it comes to your relationship with God, you know, many of you have had a hard time coming out of the religious traditions you were taught and you were raised with. I mean, because that's what great-grandma did, and that's what grandma did, and that's what my mom did. That's what I'm doing, and now that's what I'm having. And then when you finally open the Bible and find out that your religious traditions aren't in there, and some of them actually are against what the Bible says, I mean, you're challenged. You're challenged to, do I embrace the truth and pay the price, or do I just stay calm? 
and, and just make excuses. Well, you know, I, I'm going to do it and it doesn't really matter, but it does matter. God does care. And it's plain hard for people to change. I'm sure you've met people, maybe you've even been like that, that when a tradition is brought up and then you open the Bible and you say, but look, the Bible says right here that that's not what you're supposed to do. It's very clear that you'll have people even say, well, I don't know, I don't really understand what the Bible says, but I'm going to keep doing it anyway. And tradition can be so deep that people will reject the Bible in order to keep their traditions. And it's with us now, and it's with, it was with the Jewish believers in the first century where they were so steeped in their tradition that, that when they faced difficulties, it would be easy and tempting for them to go backwards. But God doesn't want us to go backwards. He doesn't want us to go backwards. He doesn't want us looking over our shoulders. He wants us moving forward in the freedom that is ours in Jesus Christ. That's the, one of the big themes of Hebrews is Jesus is superior. You are complete in him. You don't need these religious traditions. You can worship him with freedom and Traditions can be so strong that they become a part of you, and you even think if you break them, you won't be you anymore. Or you might be hurting your family or offending your family. You touch a person's tradition and they cry out. But we have to learn to develop our traditions. There's nothing wrong with traditions that are biblical, but they must be developed from the Scriptures and not man-made religion. So Paul writes to the Hebrews then and to us today that Jesus is all you need. And when you're tempted to move forward, I mean, there's still even those today within the, the larger construct of Christianity that are saying, no, you're not an, it's not enough for you to worship the way you worship. You need to go back to the Torah, and you need to focus on the Torah. And the Torah is wonderful. It's the first five books of the Old Testament, but there's freedom in Christ. And there'll be others that say, no, it's not enough. You need to practice all of the feasts and all of the ceremonies of the Old Testament. Hey, look, the feasts are beautiful, but we've learned that they're just shadows the substance is of Christ. And so there's nothing wrong if you want to participate in some of the Old Testament feasts. They're beautiful and they're glorious, but all you need is Jesus and you're complete in him. And so here are these Jewish believers surrounded in Jerusalem. Judaism is still all over Jerusalem. Everything's still happening right in front of them. And there they are worshiping Jesus, embracing the substance. And it's easy to move back and say, well, I kind of want my old life back. I kind of want my old religious life back. Or even some of you, by way of uh, application, you want your old life back, like you think it was better back then. And communion, and one of the things that we learn in communion is that it wasn't better back then, it's better today in Christ. We have very selective memories when it comes to the past. And for those of you that are really wrestling about whether I should go backwards, or you want to go back into the world, or you want to adopt an old habit, or maybe an old religious system, you have a memory that's very selective and you don't remember the difficulties and you don't remember the hardship and you don't remember like the partier like today you think well you know it's going to be okay if I just go back and party with my friends but you forgot you're forgetting how bad it was you're forgetting the night you woke up in your own vomit you're forgetting the time you woke up in jail you're forgetting the time you offended you're forgetting you're forgetting and the Lord says no we need to forget those things that are behind and we need to press forward to what God has for us no matter the temptations and you would think the closer you are to going backwards, the heavier the temptations are going to be. Because the devil has one goal and one goal alone with you, and that's to absolutely wipe you out. He's come not except to kill, steal, and destroy your life and mine. And whether it's to some religious tradition or full-blown going back to the world, the world has nothing for you. And here are these guys in the first century just assessing their life, tempted to go backwards. But they would know. They would know of the new covenant. 
Remember I asked you to jot it down last time, Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, 39, all speaking about God's heart for Israel. They would know this in Ezekiel 36, verse 24. They would know this. They would be so familiar with this passage. And this is God speaking through the prophet. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, bring you into your own land. That's happening to this day right now. It's happening right now. Then I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I'll cleanse you from your filthiness and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you, God says, and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you'll keep my judgments and do them. And you'll dwell on the land that I gave to your fathers. And you'll be my people and I'll be your God. He speaks of the new covenant that by faith in Jesus Christ, this is what will happen to every Jew and Gentile. And yet their traditions are so strong that Paul writes this letter to them, this book. And he even describes it, you can write it down in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22. He describes it as an exhortation. Now the word that's translated exhortation in the New Testament is the same word that's translated comforter for the Holy Spirit. The word really means comfort. But whenever it's translated exhortation, it, it actually is, speaks more of a strong comfort. The idea of exhortation is a little bit of, of a push, a little bit of a, a move. When you're exhorted, you're moved forward. And sometimes you're moved forward through comfort. Sometimes you're moved forward through a strong word. And you, as you guys that have read ahead in, in Hebrews, you know what a strong word it is. Don't go backwards. Cling to your faith in Jesus Christ. Stay strong in your faith. Of course it's going to get hard. Jesus promised that. But don't turn away from the new covenant to go back to the old. One thing is clear, and they knew this to be true. The Jewish religious system was temporary, and it couldn't bring the eternal better things that were promised in the coming of Messiah and fulfilled when God came in human flesh and died and was buried and rose again from the dead to forgive us of our sins. Now, if you're taking notes, let me give you five things to look for in the entirety of our study. We're going to look at them at various times, and I'll remind you from time to time, but there's five warnings that Paul gives to the Hebrews, five big sub-themes. Number one, he warns them and us against drifting from the Word of God, drifting away from the Word of God, drifting. The idea of drifting is just slowly moving away from God's Word. We find that in chapter 2. The second warning is a warning against doubting the Word of God, chapters 3 and 4. And I'll tell you, the time that you're going to most doubt the Word of God is in the midst of a trial, when circumstances just bury you and consume you, and it's so hard and so difficult, it's, I, I just don't believe God's Word. And yet the way out is to get your eyes off the circumstance and to believe God's Word. It's a battle. It's a battle. So he warns them, don't, don't doubt the Word of God, chapters 3 and 4. Number three, there's also going to be a warning against dullness, dullness toward the Word of God. Apathy. Eh, whatever, you know, I've got a Bible, I'll read it when I want. And just apathy, the kind of apathy that's filled so many today. There's a warning against that, chapters 5 and 6. Fourthly, there's going to be a warning against despising the Word of God and just turning your back on it like it has no value to you. It's not important. I'm not even going to use God's Word anymore. That's chapter 10. And then finally, there's a warning against defying or disobeying the Word of God in chapter 12. So Hebrews, you could say, is really just a call to hear and heed the Word of God. It's a call to listen to God and obey Him. And I just have to say that a lot of the problems that are in this room right now, 
lot of the problems of you listening on the radio or watching online are because you're not listening to God's Word and you're not obeying it. This, just this week, the things you found yourself in, the trouble you got in at work, the anger that came, the argument in your marriage, the flesh outfit you had with your kids, it's because you're not a man or a woman of the Word. That's not everyone, but some. I mean, what do you expect to come out of you if you never put in you spiritual things? I mean, are you so filled with this world's music that that's what comes out of you? Are you so filled with this world's message? The issue is, is simply when you don't have the Word coming in you, it's not going to come out of you. I'm not offering to you a call to say, well, set up your devotional life. That, make sure every morning at 6.15 you are reading your Bible. Because that's not the issue at all. The issue is your heart. You know, it's been said, and I believe it to be true, is that the heart of the matter is often a matter of the heart. That you're not looking to God's Word as His love letter to you and His instruction and His affirmation of you and, and the direction for your life. You're more interested in the opinions of men, you know, and what men have to say about things. And, and so you've developed a habit where you're in your textbooks more than the Word of God, and you're in front of a screen more than the Word of God, and it's just, it isn't desirable for you. You don't even have in your mind sometimes, and maybe you can look back this week, but you don't even have in your mind, what does God say about this? What's God's opinion about my marriage? What's God's opinion about my life? What's God's opinion about this decision? What does he have to say? You might say to me, but Ed, it's so hard to read the Bible. I don't, but look, the Bible is understood by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So as believers, God wants you to understand the Bible. He wants to speak to you. He wants to give you direction. The issue is, do you? I mean, think about the marriages here today. Think about the marriages. The issue in your marriage is not your spouse, to which some people say, ooh. You didn't say it out loud, but inside. It's not your spouse. And then you're, some of you are like, so, well, Ed, you just don't understand. You don't know my spouse. You don't, and you, you just want to stand up and go, no, no, no. That's true for everyone in the room but me. And you just think, man, the problem in your marriage is him. And the problem in your marriage is her. Could it be that the problem in your marriage is both of you? And now you're the one listening to me right now. And could it be that the issue in your heart is that you're just not a man of the word and you're not a woman of the word? You don't love your wife as Christ loved the church. And some of you men are like, well, I'll be a man of the word. I'll open right up to Ephesians. And I will call my wife up right now and say, this is what it says. And you might even, oh, there he is. It's got time. And yeah, I'm going to say, this is what the Bible says. Wives, submit to your husbands. Right here. But you've got to read on. Because not only does it say, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. That's what the Bible says. But you drop down a couple verses. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's what the Bible says. This is hard. You know, most of the issues in our marriage is just that. You come in and you get to a crisis. We've seen that, you know, over the last six, nine months, we've just seen an overwhelming amount of calls increasing for marriage help, marriage help, marriage help. And so we'll either meet with you here or the pastors will make an appointment and, and there you are. You come in for help. You go through the process. You sit down for an hour. You open the Bible. We talk about the issues. Sometimes it gets heated. Sometimes it gets hard. But by the time we end, we pray. You leave with some direction and you leave with some homework. And man, we're excited because you sat through it and you listened and God's counsel got into your heart. 
And if you follow the counsel and you do the homework, God will begin to work right away, immediately, instantly, he'll begin to work. But then a couple weeks go by and another phone call comes in. Oh no, pastor, 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 we've got to meet. My marriage is worse. It's harder. It's more difficult. We've got to meet. We've got to meet today. We will drive down in two hours because you've got to save our marriage. We need it. And so one of the questions will come is, okay, if you need to come in, we'll meet. But did you do the homework? Oh no, pastor, we didn't do the homework. Oh, you didn't do the homework because the homework was praying and the homework was reading the Bible and the homework was doing a little bit of filling on what the Bible has. But you didn't do the homework and now things are worse. Right. And so we're not going to meet with you. Do the homework, then come in. No, you don't understand. No, you don't understand. God is ready to meet you where you are if you will draw near to him. He's ready to work with you. Now, as the word comes a little bit stronger as we sit in the room together, of course we're going to minister in comfort to you. We're going to minister to the pain there. We're going to minister to the separation. But the same counsel is given over and over and over again. Read your Bible and pray every day. And you might think, that's not enough. I don't know what else there is. God is ready to speak. Isn't that what he says in Hebrews? God, who in various times and various different ways has spoken through the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us by his son? No, it's much easier to call your friends, isn't it? Oh, we're having this marriage problem. My husband did this and my wife did It's much easier to call the girlfriends, huh? You, you got five of them. So you just work your way down the list. You wouldn't believe what so-and-so did, and, and then they, they give you their advice. And then you call the next one. Oh, I can't believe it. And it gets worse every call because nobody's really helping get your eyes back on the Lord. You wouldn't keep calling all your friends if one of your friends would just say, get your eyes off of your husband and submit yourself to the Lord. And you know what happens? Click. <laughs> because a woman of the word is going to give you that counsel and encourage you. And so you're more willing to listen to a friend and all their opinions as if they live your life. They don't live your life. And you're more willing to listen to some TED Talk, you know, and some guy on TED Talk, and he gives you 15 minutes of how to have a good marriage. And you're more willing to watch some daytime talk show or whatever it might be and what they have to say about marriage. When God invented marriage, he's the author of it. And only God could invent something like marriage. We wouldn't invent that. Think about it. You got selfish man here and selfish woman here. I got a great idea. Let's bring them together and make them one. So now that we have one selfish person with two selfish attitudes, let's throw them in a house together. And in the early days, a really small apartment. How's that? A room. And have two selfish people be selfish with each other and argue about toilet paper and argue about who does the laundry and argue and let's just go at it. Let's see. And you know, he's like, let's watch it all happen. Except that God, he invented it. He designed it not to be so difficult, but he put us in marriage. Why? Marriage is to teach us selflessness and it's to be enjoyed. And it's truly enjoyed when we're truly selfless with one another. And so there you are going through it. And that's, that's really some of the root of the issue. You're selfish. He or she is selfish. We're all selfish. And we need to submit ourselves to the Lord and be selfless with one another. And then boom, I got a great idea. How about in the mix of all this craziness, that we create another selfish person to live with us <laughs> or adopt them or how, let's add more selfishness into the mix. I mean, think about it. The first couple years of a baby's life is nothing but ah, ah, like what? What are you saying? I, I'm saying, pay attention to me. I'm more important than anyone. Look at me, hold me, do everything for me. And then man, 
Only God could create that. <laughs> and he did for our enjoyment, that he would be in the center of our marriage. So why our marriages would become a picture of Jesus Christ's relationship with his church, that men and women would get saved, that we would raise a godly generation, and we would become more selfless through the process. Look, you've got to be a man or a woman of the word, not because some pastor told you to, but because the Bible says that it is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The opinions of your friends, even if they're good and godly, pay on comparison to reading what the Bible has to say of what you're supposed to do and trusting God with your marriage and trusting God with your spouse. Hey, I've been around long enough to know there's some real difficult, hurting things here today, but God is using them in your life so that you might abide in Him and learn of your sufficiency in Christ. Your spouse, as good as they get through the entirety of their life, will never fully satisfy you. They were never intended to fully satisfy you. They're not on the earth to make you happy. Marriage is not, the main goal of marriage is not happiness, it's holiness. And a holy marriage leads to happiness and joy of the Lord. So in the context of Hebrews, this don't leave the word. Don't go backwards. Go forwards. Like Warren Wiersbe wrote, he said this, I believe that the church is living in very similar circumstances today as the Hebrews. Everything around us is shaking and changing. People are discovering that they've been depending on the scaffolding and not the solid foundation of Christ. Even God's people have gotten so caught up in this world system that their confidence is not in the Lord, but in money and in buildings and in programs and other passing material things. As God continues to shake society, the scaffolding will fall away and God's people will discover that their only confidence must be in the Word of God. Can anybody say an amen to the shaking going on in their lives right now? And God is shaking things in your life. The Bible says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Why? So that you will learn to put your full dependence upon the Lord and His Word. It's the only thing that gets you through. The Word of God is eternal. And so what does Hebrews say? How does it open up again? Well, notice with me in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and the upholding of all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they." The book begins, it opens up with God. He's the central focus. There's no attempt to prove his existence. There's no need to prove his existence. God is God. He exists, and we are his creation. And he has chosen to graciously and sovereignly speak to his creation. We would never know who God is unless he told us. That's why so many people, they, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1. So when they do that, they create false gods, little g. God has spoken to reveal himself to us. How? Through his word. He's spoken in times past through men, the prophets, and now in these last days, like Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. His word is final. The written word and the living word. Jesus has revealed God to us, and his word is the final word. 
More on this critical and reassuring truth, along with the exciting potential that exists as a result, next time on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor's message is aptly titled, God Has Spoken. Catch a replay when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com. If you haven't already downloaded the free app, simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Here in the month of February, we've picked out an excellent book written by Roy Hessian called The Calvary Road. In it, he teaches that it's through brokenness, humility, and confession that we can prepare our hearts to receive the fullness that God wants for us. If you long for revival and power in your life, this is a must-read. And we'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your financial support that we're able to come to you day by day on this station. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. Request your book today by calling us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, the phone number is 877-30-GRACE. If you'd rather not have the book but still want to make a donation, that can be done rather easily at AboundingGraceRadio.com. So don't miss our next study in Hebrews with Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow on Abounding Grace. And may God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.